Hello, friends. Wilson Hunter here. I will be guest hosting the Leaving a Legacy podcast with you all today. Thank you, Jerry and Pat, for allowing me to do this. So thanks to the poll results in the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group, we will be covering the history of the Pox archetype. And because the poll so solidly showed us uh, the, the desire to cover this archetype, we're actually going to do it in a four-part series, uh, two hours per episode for the next four weeks. So you all will get your fill of this deck, and hopefully by the end of it, we will all together know and uh, really appreciate more about this wonderful deck that is Pox. So I will be taking the first part today, uh, part one of the Pox series, and we're going to follow that up with Itai Ben Sasson in part two, Jasper Birch in part three, and the Honorable Tyler Timothy We'll be wrapping this up and concluding part four for us in the Pox Archetype series uh, this upcoming month. So again, thank you to the community for voting on this archetype. Really excited to cover it. And thank you for Pat and Jerry for supporting this effort. So without further ado, let's get started. Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? What up, Pat? How you doing, man? Not bad. Not bad bad at all how are you i'm feeling pretty good how was your fourth it was good i still have all 10 digits so didn't that's disappointing you didn't go hard enough in the paint yeah i didn't go hard enough i didn't you know play chicken with the rocket like i usually do <laughs> it's amazing how many people are on twitter and whatnot complaining about and i'm on like the boston uh reddit reddit subreddit as well how many people are complaining about about fireworks throughout throughout the weekend and it's like you know it's Fourth of July. Like the fireworks gonna come. Just turn on your AC or close. Or you know what I mean. Like there are, you know, I I, I don't know, man. It seems like uh, it's a small price to pay for freedom. When are they gonna get to the fireworks factory? <laughs> Can somebody tell me what the hell is going on? My nieces were very disappointed that uh, the fireworks were canceled this year because uh, of Corona. So your nieces were very disappointed that their uncle bitched out and didn't go and buy some. <laughs> Illegal fireworks and show them that this is America. And if we want to have fireworks, we're going to give our kids some fireworks. Well, no, because what we did is we just drove around the neighborhood looking at all the illegal fireworks being set off. <laughs> Honestly, it was better. Like, didn't have to deal with any crowds. Got to stay in the nice, comfortable AC car. Got to just drive around looking at all the really dangerously low explosives. <laughs> I saw this massive box of fireworks at a, uh, like a, like a, you know, uh, Walmart's type store. It was like this huge box. It had like, I don't know, it was like $750 and it was called the Grounds for Divorce <laughs> Fireworks set. Uh, I will have to say that like fireworks have some of the best names of all time. They're, oh, big time. There's this great, so when me and my buddies in college, we did a road trip where we drove from Boston down to uh, New Orleans and we stopped in like South Carolina or one of the southern states and we waited outside a fireworks shop to open up at six in the morning because we had been driving all night. <laughs> and we're like, oh, we got to get some fireworks. And some degenerates. Yeah, so a bunch of just degenerate college guys in a fireworks uh, superstore at six in the morning just getting all of the amazing uh, fireworks with like Space Jam and <laughs> like, the best names, the best names. It is amazing to me that fireworks. Fireworks are illegal in Massachusetts. I don't understand why they'd be illegal. Well, you can have access to so many other things. You see, Pat, they are uh, just cardboard tubes full of explosives that generally. I understand. <laughs> I understand that they are dangerous, but there are a lot of things that we have access to that are dangerous that probably cause a lot more fatalities and injuries that we use every day. Yeah, and it seems like fireworks are something that we should be allowed to. I, I don't know. Yeah, but very, I'm not big on the nanny state, Jerry. Very, I'm surprised you're defending the nanny state. Yeah, but very few of those other dangerous things are disguised as toys. Like, like fireworks. I mean, are. Fireworks are not toys, right? But like, neither just is like, a car. Hey, here's a tickle be. Here's a tickle me Elmo. It's stuffed with C4. We're gonna release. This. <laughs> like, how many people have broken their arms on like a hoverboard in the United States? 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's you know I don't know. I think I'm it's a lot a... easier to recover from a broken arm from a hoverboard than it is from a blown off arm from like a. Hey, you tell <laughs> you tell Jason Pierre-Paul that he came back and played professional football with basically a nub for his hand. So <laughs> I'm just saying I I understand why they're banned, Pat. I understand. Also, it just makes, I understand. It makes I understand it more fun. You it makes it more go- fun that you have to go through all this extra effort to get them. Like it's <laughs> you have to put in the effort in order to enjoy it. It's part of the yeah, process, Pat. I get I get why the government would overreach their their you know overreach their powers and ban fireworks. Jesus, and it's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me that we haven't like fucking taken up arms and said no. You can't take my fire. You can take my fireworks when you pry them from my cold dead hands. I, I, if we haven't done it for a number of other things, I don't think we're going to do it for fireworks, Pat. <laughs> My kids play with sparklers for the record. How about, so. this, how about this, Pat? We can have fireworks when we have universal health care to afford all the injuries that fireworks will cause. How about that? Well, you know, universal health. I, mean, universal right, I didn't want to really get that now. I didn't want to get It's not really a solution to actual surgeries and stuff. Speaking uh, of universal you know, health care, Pat, we have a great no, hold show on, hold topic. On, hold, on. hold on. I do have one thing I want to cover before we get into the episode. We just have a couple new patrons this week. I want to give them a shout out. Uh, I think I might have oh, mentioned dude, that was going to be the greatest transition ever. I know. Universal healthcare and the pox. Come on, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Uh, Chris Reinhardt and Brian H. Thank you so much for for joining the Patreon. Uh, we really appreciate it. Chris actually sent us a really nice email, and uh, he he gave me the okay to read it on the podcast. And since since we're talking about some old school magic today, we're going to talk about his uh, the email he sent. He said, "Love your podcast. Started playing Magic in 1994, 1995 as a high school kid. Barely missed out on Alpha Beta Unlimited." He was active in the game through Urza's block and loved decks like Goblins, Blue-White Control, Stasis, uh, Ermageddon, Prost Bloom, White Weenie, and then got caught up with College Family, etc. Wait, Ermageddon? Like, uh, yes. <laughs> Ermageddon? Yes. Ermageddon. Um, he said he recently got back into, uh, into Magic and found all his old cards. Bunch of duels, stack of forces, mox diamonds, sliver queens. He's just, he's just bragging about all the value he found in his closet, <laughs> which I'm super happy for him. Um, and he says he loves playing Legacy he, as he can play all his old cards. He built his son a Goblin deck too, uh, so him, him and I are in the same boat there. And he plays he plays Snowcoat, Ninjas and Fairies, and Merfolk. He really enjoys the history of uh, Legacy podcasts, uh, and he also loves uh, you know he loves the podcast. And he just said thanks for the content. So just want to give him a shout out. Thank you, Chris, for the for the kind words and the, for the support. And if you want to support the show directly, you can go to patreoncom legacy. And Jerry. Talking about universal health care. <laughs> oh, now we're back to my transition. My smooth, I was just going to say, you know, even transition. even Canadians, even Canadians, when they want like actual real surgeries, they come to the United States for those. They don't get them done in Canada. Uh, so I'm going to uh, it's not it's neither the place nor time to debate that, Pat. It, I mean, it's true. It's not a debate. It's I true. Don't think that's, all right. So we're not going down. this. <laughs> you can't help it. We're not no, no. going down this. <laughs> <laughs> One thing universal healthcare can't help with, Pat, though, is a case of pox. That's true. <laughs> you like that transition? Was that a good yeah, transition? Yeah, I heard the bubonic plate is coming back, so maybe we should talk about smallpox today. <laughs> I think so. And also, everyone mentioned how much they love the history of deck episodes. So let's do a history of the deck uh, episode. Yeah, we're going to talk about smallpox today, and we have a great guest on this week, Jerry. We have a guest. Is it Wilson? It's not Wilson, uh. although he did record an intro for this for this episode like three weeks ago, and has been disappointed every week when it hasn't been like attached to the episode that's not about Pox. Right? So, like, he wa- he wanted on the art episode. He wanted on last week's episode with Tom Hep. But I think he'll finally be happy when it gets uh, hopefully attached to the beginning of this week's episode. I have no idea what it is. I haven't listened to it. I'm, I'm not kinda, privy to what he says. I'm kind of scared that like usually when Wilson has a joke, like he usually lets it go after a couple weeks. But this is a he's been hammering this joke home for three <laughs> he weeks. He has, and he listened to the episode to see if his his intro was in there. And I don't think he listens to the podcast, so that was like he went out of his way to listen to it and was very disappointed. So I, I'm hoping he is uh, very happy this week and hears it. Exactly. We do have another awesome guest, though, Pat. We do. This is a buddy of ours. Uh, we've actually gotten to meet him uh, in real life, which is a. Uh, I mean, lately is a thing of the past, uh, thanks to our, 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 you know, our disease, our disease in the modern world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> thanks to our uh, current uh, version of Smallpox, but we have Travis Parsley on from the Legacy Pit. What's up, Travis? Wait, did somebody mention Pox? Wait, here. Okay, here I am. I'm here, guys. I'm here. <laughs> What's going on, guys? How you doing? It's Coming through the wall at the Kool Aid Man. Travis <laughs> yeah. is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. It's like, it's like Beetlejuice. You say Pox three times, uh, and Travis appears. Here I am. Shit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you got to deal with me now. You don't have to say three times. I think if you get if you say pox pox and then let out another, a third hard P, he's I am. Here. Like, I Travis am. is here. I, I, I was uh, relaxing on my sofa and then I'm in the uh, leaving a legacy podcast room somehow with Jerry and Pat. What I don't. Okay. So yeah. so excited. Uh, first question: Have you ever had to iron a wasteland? Um, I've heard stories about that, and I have not. Uh, my wastelands are real, and I hate foils, so no no ironing here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we asked you on because you are a pillar of the Pox community, which is, it's great. Like when we were deciding to do another history episode, we cut, we put the feelers out for what the listeners would want to listen to as far as, you know, what's a deck history we haven't talked about yet. And without a doubt, like overwhelming support for Pox. Why is Pox so popular among degenerates, Travis? Well, I, I have several paid accounts that, um, people... <laughs> Um, they, they may or may not be mine that I use to uh, support my cause with Pox. Um, but, but besides so that... So you have many you have Pox sock puppet accounts is what you're trying to say? I, I can neither confirm nor deny these allegations. Oh, I do not nice. recall is the legal jargon to say. Um, so why is Pox so popular? It's a cult, Jerry. It's a cult, Pat. It's a cult. Uh, <laughs> um I, I don't know. It's just something... I mean, for me personally, Pox is very near and dear to me because the card Pox itself came out in Ice Age. And uh, what were we saying? That was around 90... Uh, 1995. 95. So I started playing around that period, 95, 96, 97, and Ice Age was out, Pox came out, and it, I always had an affinity toward things that are black. Like, I, I wore a lot of black clothing throughout my childhood, etc., and I used to be in a goth industrial um, phase and uh, DJing at nightclubs and such. So I want to see you with with uh, mascara. Oh God, on I had, so had the, bad. Pat, you know, don't you'd see my bald head, but I had long black Robert Smith hair, guys. I swear to God, I oh, did. Oh, that's I awesome. Did. Is he? Were you as sad as him too? Uh, no, that's still no, in that no, phase. Not, not sad. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so um, trying to remember, I, I just like you guys were talking about before. Um, Life happened, uh, work, school, um, I kind of fell away from magic, and when I came back into magic, you know, I was looking around for, like, a mono black vampire deck, you know, in Legacy, and I, I was looking around, and I couldn't find anything, and then I, I saw this, uh, deck playing Bloodgast, and I was like, well, that's sort of a vampire, so, okay, and then I saw it was playing Dark Rituals, it was playing Sinkholes that I was familiar with, and, uh, the whole swamps, and, um, I, I, I just develop an affinity towards it because it spoke to my dark soul <laughs> so um you know a lot of magic players um i, I think we can agree or uh maybe a, a little anti-social so um pox kind of fits <laughs> pox kind of fits right into that uh that whole mindset right <laughs> you want to make your opponent yep, as miserable as possible so so that's how i got into it that's awesome yeah i uh i remember seeing pox uh i was first exposed to it Right back in like 2011, I want to say when uh, Reed Duke, the mas the master Reed Duke, uh, top eight in an SCG event with a Pox deck, and the deck just looks so cool on camera that I instantly wanted to build it. Uh, my friend Dan actually did build it, and that's how he became a lifelong Pox player. Uh, I feel just like when people pick up the Pox deck, uh, they just get converted. Like it, it gets into your blood somehow. <laughs> Also, the fact that it's a mono a mono colored uh, deck that doesn't use any dual lands it's it's pretty cheap to put together. It, you know, just being a budget deck is a huge advantage in in Legacy just for getting a you know a loyal following. Mm -hmm. You know, Jerry, I'm glad that you said that because one of the things that people wanted me to talk about was there's a misconception out there that if you do not build the six or seven thousand dollar version of Pox, that it's it's not uh, it's not competitive. That <laughs> Um, legends yeah Pox yeah you have to have the legends version i mean i play the legends you need the version. tabernacles and the chains of mephistopheles yeah 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 and, and the abyss and you know beta sinkholes you can't have regular sinkholes they gotta be beta right um, <laughs> wait they printed other sinkholes <laughs> right right <laughs> um 
But th- that's a misconception out there. You do not need to spend all of that crazy money on Legends cards to build Pox. You can totally build one of the um, Blood Gas versions that, it, it, to be honest with you, is probably th- going to give you the same win percentages as maybe a, like a Prison Legends version. It's all about preference, you know, and, and how you want to build it. It's also a meta deck, so it helps to build around whatever your meta is. But you're totally fine just playing a budget version. You don't need the Tabernacles, the uh, the Chains, etc., Nether Void. So I just want to put that out there. Big deal. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Uh, well, should we get right into it, gentlemen? Should we get into the uh, the origins of the deck? Let's do it. Awesome. So I love doing these history episodes because it always ends up with me reading like a bunch of back posts on the source and uh, old dojo articles that have been translated into plain text files and like secreted away on some dark corner of the internet. Like it's really funny looking at the early days of magic and see how uh, people communicated. Uh, so I have here actually. I, I think this is a first for the history episode, but so, uh, so Ice Age comes out in 1995, and with it, uh, Pox is printed, and German magic player Martin Humrich starts an email chain to start, <laughs> to start discussing building a deck around this new Pox card. Before the source, before Goldfish, before MTG Top 8, before all of these websites we take for granted now, magic players around the world were communicating through email chains to build deck lists. <laughs> I remember reading, uh, uh, oh, geez, I, I can't remember. what There was a book that was kind of covers the history of magic and like a lot of the early trading and stuff and deck theory was on like message boards like this. It's pretty, it's pretty fantastic, actually. Well, it's uh, the fact that it was on an email chain makes me think this was like even before message boards were a thing. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, <laughs> like ni- 1995, people trading emails. I guarantee you, there are people who like went to the library to use the library's one computer <laughs> to reply to their like weekly that, pox email chain. I, I think I think that's how they weeded out the regular people from the fanatics because you had to go through such lengths to just talk about the goddamn deck, you know? So, like, they automatically had just people who were really, like, uh, bought into an unhealthy amount, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, there was definitely um, some secret conversations in AOL Instant Messenger, too, right? That we still don't right. have access to. Yeah, those are lost to time. Right. Um, but, yeah, Pox, I guess, just really captured people's imaginations when it was printed because Pox was... This was when magic card design theory was was changing to the more modern day. And Pox was kind of one of the, the first cards that screams like, build around me. Like, this is not just a card that goes into a deck. This is a card that you build a deck around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I've also heard that that was around the time, and if, I hope I'm not right on, uh, wrong on this, it was also around the time when Balance uh, was just uh, taken out of the format. And people wanted a replacement yes. for that, right? Right, so it was kind of a perfect storm. You had this really interesting card that people wanted to experiment with, and then also balance had just been uh, restricted in vintage, or not vintage, type 1, and uh, banned and extended. And so people were trying to find this this replacement for it, for this, uh, you know, symmetrical, devastating effect. So that's really what Pox kind of comes down to, you know, balance is uh, definitely a precursor to it, but just this idea that, yeah, it's a symmetrical effect that affects both players, but because you're building your deck around it, you can take advantage of it, uh, you know, and really capitalize on the situation where your opponent can. Yeah, just as long as you uh, keep math at a priority back then, like, you you don't need to worry as much as you used to with the thirds uh, and the whole rounding up thing that uh, the original (laughs) Daddy Pox would allow you to do, but... You would have to really think about your math there because you you would probably want to play it when they had uh, three lands out and you only had one land out, right? Because they they would end up losing two lands and you you would only end up losing one. So, right. So I guess for our, our listeners who don't know the OG Pox, uh, Pox from Ice Age was triple black. Each player loses a third of their life, discards a third of their cards, and sacrifices a third of their creatures, and then sacrifices a third of their lands. Uh, and you round each loss up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how does he come up to a third as the number, though? Isn't that a weird number? Uh, well, I guess half is too close to balance. So they were like, oh. try- 
I think Wizards was trying to print a more fixed balance is what really? the idea was. Interesting. Um, but it's just funny, like all these like message boards and articles I found about Pox, pretty much all of them include a table. That's <laughs> like <laughs> apparently people needed help like figuring out what a third rounded up was. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's all of these like tables like what's a third rounded up of fifteen, Pat? Uh a third of fifteen? Uh, third of fifteen up. is five. Well no, but what do you have after Pox? So if you have fifteen, what do you have left? I cast Pox. See, 15 what? Pat, this is why they made these tables for you. These I literally tables. don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> these tables were made for Pat. <laughs> no, I know, what, I know what a third of 15 is, guys. Round it up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, all these tables for how to, how to, you know, make Pox work. But, yeah, I mean, so what you were saying, uh, Travis... You know, the math isn't as important now, and it's because small po- uh, pox doesn't really get played as much. Yeah, it's because in 2006, right, I think um, Time Spiral uh, gave us the first printing of smallpox. I think I'm right on those dates. Um, and what smallpox does is, in my opinion, it makes Big Daddy Pox um, n- not as uh, efficient. So for two black mana, each player would lose a life, discard a card, sack a creature, and then sack a land. So when a card that powerful was printed, people um, weaned away from Big Daddy Pox and they started to build around Small Pox itself. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And that's really where the story of Small Pox as a deck starts. Um, while this is a history episode and 2006 feels like uh, not that long ago, I guess it actually is fairly early in Magic's time frame still. But as far as de- decks go that we've covered compared to like Reanimator, Blue White Control, Pox, I think, is the youngest deck that we're actually going to cover as far as like when it actually coalesced into its recognizable modern day self. Um, before we get into that, though, I do just want to touch on uh, back in 1998. Pox had its its limelight, its day in the sun when uh, Andy Wolf qualified for the Pro Tour with Pox, which I think might have been one of the only times Pox qualified for the Pro Tour with his uh, Wolf Pack Pox deck, which I just want to read this original list off and like think about a modern day Pox decks compared to this and just how different it is. <laughs> so we have four Pox. Uh, for him to Torak. All right, that's pretty. That's pretty standard. Uh, for funeral charm, uh, because you know Thoughtseize hadn't been printed yet. I don't even know if Duress had been printed yet. Um, three spinning darkness, three demonic consultation, uh, three curse scrolls, three charcoal diamonds to the rack, four dance of the dead, and then four Triskelion, three blood pet. So this deck was like using Pox to get their opponent super low and then just using Triskelion and reanimating it with Dance of the Dead to finish them off with Triskelions. Disgusting. That <laughs> like it's like this weird uh like control combo deck almost. <laughs> yeah, Pox is definitely a prison slash control deck. Um they, there have been attempts to make it into an aggro deck, but I think at its heart it's always gonna be a prison control uh deck. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that's really where it's at. It's, you know, best strengths, and it's all about kind of recurring the threats. So, like, this was the original Pox deck. The Pox decks we're going to look at uh, in the modern day just kind of really move away from this a, a lot. And you st- But you do still see a lot of the same pillars in it. Uh, notably, you know, the Hymdatorak, the Discard, the Land Destruction with uh, Wastelands, um, and then also just the recurring... Uh, removal with curse uh, curse scroll so that was kind of the deck's prehistory um let's talk about it in kind of early 2000s when smallpox got printed um i first became aware of it uh when reed duke in 2011 top aided and i just distinctly remembering this awesome match that was on camera of Reed Duke versus Adam Prozac, who later went on to go work for Wizards R&D. And Adam Prozac was playing Blue Red Delver. Reed Duke was playing Pox. And Reed landed a curse scroll. And Blue Red Delver couldn't keep a creature on the board for the rest of the game. 
Like it was, it was just disgusting. It just felt like Reed had complete and utter control of the match. Um, you know, he decided when the game was going to end. Uh, you know, it was completely in his back pocket, and it just seemed like such a cool deck to play because at the time, you know, Delver decks uh, were really dominant, and it was just really cool seeing this deck attack it on such a way that it felt like Delver just couldn't even compete on the same level as it. Mm-hmm. And, and to speak to the strength of that strategy that Reed had, uh, uh, sorry, Reed had implemented, <clears throat> um, Death by a Thousand Pinpricks is exactly where the deck still is today um Mm -hmm. it's very much a resource denial but just pinging them for two on on the curse scroll or the two for the mistress factory um it's definitely a tried and true method for the deck yeah so let's talk about so we kind of looked at the way pox decks first started out uh by the time smallpox was printed in 2006 people had really started uh moving away and and you know getting what the deck looks like in the modern day what what does that look like travis can you talk about kind of the pillars of the deck so modern day pox are the pillar uh, of the deck um it, like i said it is a meta deck so you're, you're going to have a lot of different versions um and for most of what i speak about is going to be from the mono black perspective because that's my style um and i think it's also probably the most um popular style followed by the green black uh version which um got some of its legs i think in 2006 2011 sorry 2011 ish i think is uh when the black green um pox started but as far as pillars go uh hem to torak you have your dark rituals um those help you power out your turn one liliana the veils your planeswalkers um crucible of worlds if you're running that so crucible of worlds is a all-star that people have run in pox in the past it allows you to get those lands back after you sack them to the namesake card, Smallpox. Um, usually a four of, unless you're crazy like me, cutting one or two sometimes <laughs> to try to go lower on your land count. Um, <laughs> one of the strengths that Pox has is, for the most part, it does not target. So you had things like Innocent Blood, um, Liliana the Veil vale, um, with the uh, first ability, each player, not target player. Um uh, Toxic Deluge is a, another um, very uh, popular card. Um, Thoughtseize, uh, prior to Veil of Summer, <laughs> was an excellent <laughs> card. Uh, I think it's still very good. It's just nowhere near as good as it used to be, and we'll get into more of that later. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I have a new definition for Thoughtseize uh, in the Veil of Summer uh, meta. I would love to read later on. Don't let me forget. Um, Sinkhole. Uh, a lot of people have moved off of the sinkhole card and try to play around with Ashiok Dream Renderer. Uh, it's a planeswalker that essentially says your opponents uh, cannot um, search after they fetch their um, their lands. So essentially, if, if they were to fetch, uh, if they were to crack and fetch, they just sinkhole themselves. Um, it's a main board graveyard hate. Um, it uh, turns off searching for like Stoneforge Mystic, things like that. Um, the jury's still out on Ashiok, but I think overall the, the community has accepted it. Um, I wouldn't say it's a uh, auto-include, uh, but for most decks, I, I think they are at least um, experimenting with it. Um, we have things like the Legends cards, of course, and these are cards that are near and dear to me, like the Nether Void. Uh, it's very much a prison piece when you get Lil- Liliana the Veil out. Uh, if you can uh, tax their spells with three additional mana every turn and also get them in a position where Liliana of the Veil is out and you constantly have them discarding. It's a soft lock and it's very hard to come back from that. Um, we have some versions running uh, Phyrexian Totem. This is a very popular card in some of the Japanese builds. It's a very bad... Uh, I always just thought it was a meme that people kept doing. <laughs> no, no. It, I mean, Pox, it has a problem with a clock, right? And if you can get a 5-5 beater out there that dances around Innocent Blood, it dances around Smallpox, I mean, you got to do what you got to do with your Tier 3, Tier 4 deck, right, Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> so um, a lot of decks are still running Curse Scroll. Uh, Curse Scroll is awesome because it is a colorless source of damage. So things that have pro color, like, you know, Mom, things like that, it can get around that. Um, it could deal damage to planeswalkers. It can deal damage to players. Uh, so it, it's a very good card, especially when you have uh, pitched most of your hand and you have one card in hand, or maybe two if you have two of the same card. Um, 
So land-wise in the main board, uh, Wastelands, of course, are still a mainstay. Uh, again, with our current meta using basics, uh, snow basics, um, it, it lost a little bit, of I think, of its impact, but I think it's still required because you do have 2020 um, Beast running around there. Um, Mistress Factory is an all-star. That, that's a card that... It also dances around Innocent Blood and the, the uh, smallpox effects. Um, and Mistress Factory, you can do cool little tricks with. You can pump the other Mistress Factory. You can swing for two with a maze of if out. And let's say it gets swords. You can untap it and then tap itself to plus one and then gain three life instead of two. It's just little things like that you can do with that card. It's little, um, little um, uh, interesting interactions that it has. Um, Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth. It allows you to tap your colorless lands for swamps. Um, Castle Lockthwain is a newer addition that I like to run in my my deck. It is a way for Pox to draw cards, and that is a weakness that Pox has had in the past, especially when the other weakness paired with that is um, getting flooded or um, getting uh, mana, uh, land drought. So... Just having the ability to try to speed up what you're drawing is a big plus for the deck. So, um, I'd say that's for... Oh, and the Blood Gas. Blood Gas is definitely a uh, main staple in a lot of the uh, Pox builds now. Um, cool thing about Blood Gas is you can pitch it to Liliana in the Veil in the graveyard. Uh, you can play a land, it comes back. You can sack it to Smallpox. You can sack it to Innocent Blood, it comes back. Um... Creature-wise, also, we have Nether Spirit, which does not have flying, and it drives me nuts. I don't know why they made a spirit that does not have flying. He should have flying. Um, so Nether Spirit is a creature that you can always sacrifice or it can block for days. It goes to the graveyard. Um, on your upkeep, You could, if it's the only creature in your graveyard, you can bring it back to the battlefield. It hasn't seen as much play as it used to. Um, and I think in the last year and a half, two years is when the change started happening to Pox with some of the staples like uh, Sinkhole, Nether Spirit, things like that. Um, Liliana, The Last Hope, is another good staple card that's good in prison builds if you can um, stick a ensnaring bridge out uh, early enough in the game and you're lucky enough to have it stick with no Teferis uh, running around. You can plus her up to seven and get the ultimate with uh, the zombies and that can uh, be your win con. So, um... Those are the, I would say the, the, the mainstays that are still with us uh, to this day. And I, uh, forgive me, guys, if I'm forgetting anything. I don't think so. I, so I would say so. The real point that I, the deck revolves around, uh, from my perspective, and what really propelled it into being a uh, more competitive deck, because the difference between 2006 smallpox decks and 2011 was Innistrad was printed, and with it came Liliana of the Veil. And that's really what started Pox's rise in popularity after 2011, because prior to that, you know, 2006 to 2010, Smallpox as a deck existed. You know, you you were playing Smallpoxes, you were playing Innocent Bloods, you're playing Hymns and Thought Seizes and Sinkholes. Um, you were really just kind of like a mono black control deck, but it it wasn't that different from, you know, your kitchen table mono black decks. Uh, but then when Innistrad got printed, and with it came Liliana the Veil, and everyone pretty early on recognized what a powerful card Liliana was. Really, what the question was, what was going to be the shell that took advantage of her the most? And it just so happened that she just fits perfectly into the Pox shell. Like, she is really the engine that caused Pox to take off in popularity after 2011. Yeah, especially when you have things like Hem the Torok. Um, paired up with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just if you're fortunate enough to be able to get your opponent to discard three cards um, in one turn, I mean, that, that's pretty huge. But it, It's because really with Pox, one of its biggest downsides is it forces the game in a top deck mode, and sometimes you just don't have as good top decks as your opponent does, and then they're able to claw back in the game. But when you have a Liliana on the board state, Liliana makes sure that even when you're in top deck mode, you're still always having the upper hand because Liliana's going to prevent them from stacking cards in hand uh, to, you know, save up for future smallpoxes or hymns. And 
also is going to force them to sacrifice any creatures so they can't really board up, uh, build up a board state. Well, th- that's definitely one of the things that Pox was uh, seeking to do was get into a top deck war, but with having a Liliana of the Veil out. Um, right. So, and that combined with like a, cur- a curse scroll or a, a Mistress Factory out, that should be enough to get you the victory or nearly uh, close enough to the victory. <laughs> Yeah, top deck mode, and then chip away at them with two twos and curse scrolls. Yeah, so definitely a resource denial deck. Um, we also had some versions of it, uh, also in the Legends build, running like Tabernacle or, or things like that. So a um, lot of ways to wipe the board, uh, at least with the old rules, without Tabernacle. But now I guess you have to remind your opponent that there's a Tabernacle uh, trigger that you have to... Uh, Pay for your creatures, so you don't get that board wipe <laughs> aspect in Tabby anymore that you used to. Oh man, I remember so many gotcha moments with Tabernacle and Pox. People just not remembering triggers and then like going to their draw step and having to sack all their cards. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the, the draw to it, you know, but they took it away from me. That's all right, Wizards. That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but yeah, like, Pat, what's. Uh, we, there's also like. Uh, the black-green versions of Pox that were running around a lot. Um, these were decks that were running, like, Life of the Loam. Um, you had a lot of recursion in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were running Mox Diamonds at, instead of the Dark Ritual, and one of the reasons that they were running the Mox Diamond of a Ritual was it was a hedge against your own smallpox, which is very good. The only reason I don't like running the Mox Diamond over the Ritual is that it prevents you from uh, the ability to put a turn one Planeswalker out like Liliana the Veil. <laughs> Yeah, turn one Liliana the Veil was backbreaking, especially back in like 2011 when we didn't have abrupt decays and all these other, um, you know, answers for planeswalkers like we do now. Like just getting a turn one Liliana was usually game over for a lot of decks. Um, but yeah, also just instead of uh, Crucible of Worlds, adding green to get access to life from the loam, I feel is such a huge upgrade. Uh, my buddy Dan, who we've had on the podcast a few times, he's a longtime pl- pox player, and he almost exclusively played the green-black pox list with uh, life from the loam and Sensei's Divining Top. You know, he's always the one I think of as the collateral damage for the Sensei's Divining Top bands. <laughs> his poor his poor pox deck got, got dumpstered because of <laughs> Sensei's Divining Top getting banned. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that list was also running crop rotations, right? So yeah, you could go get your Tabernacle, well. you could go get your Maze of Ith, you can go get your um, Cabal Pit, you could go get your Tomb of Urami <laughs> if you wanted to sack all yep. your lands and get a 5-5 flyer. Um, and uh, that definitely helped with the uh, the locking aspect of that. So, And it also, uh, you know, later on, it gave you some pieces that were answers that Mono Black uh, was missing, like the Abrupt Decay. So you could deal with Planeswalkers or other problem permanents that Mono Black could not. Well, let's talk about because uh, Planeswalkers have really always been the biggest struggle of Pox decks. Absolutely. There isn't, there isn't really any good planeswalker removal outside of you know chipping away at him with adam with uh curse scroll no no not at all so pox loses well i I guess i'll go over some of the weaknesses here um pox loses to planeswalkers period (laughs) um and it's just a it's just a cold truth um we do have a possible answer that has recently been printed and the card um eliminate right i think that's what it's called guys uh, eliminate. I think it's called Eliminate. So it is... Actually, I think I got it here. Yeah, it's called Eliminate. So it's an instant. It's one and a black. It's destroy target creature or planeswalker with CMC three or less. So I think this is a good answer for planeswalkers um, and a lot of the problems that Pox has, like your Oko, your uh, Teferi, um, well, you wouldn't be able to play it as an instant, but still, you'd have it as a sorcery speed on your turn. Um, however, it's not going to be able to address the other Planeswalkers that cost more than three, like your your Chandra's, your Karn, your Jace the Mind Sculptor. And these are cards that are just backbreaking for Pox. You just, you just have an extremely difficult time uh, beating those cards. So I would say Planeswalkers is definitely the, the biggest weakness of the deck. And when this deck had, I, I would say, its heyday... Planeswalkers did not take up um, such a large portion of uh, uh, of the meta that they are now. I mean, they're almost in every deck, right? With the exception of, like, elves and goblins and storm, things like that. But 
everywhere you look, it's a planeswalker. It's a planeswalker. Um, so it's very hard for mono black um, pox to deal with planeswalkers. But again, if you if you splash like white, some people have had success with vindicates. Um, the greens versions were running abrupt decay to deal with some of the planeswalkers. Again, smaller ones. Um, but if if we were to have some sort of re- a real answer, like I personally want like a swords of power share for <laughs> for like planeswalker or like a uh, a one in a black or a two in a black instant that target player or uh, each opponent sacrifices Planeswalker. I mean, I think sacrifice Planeswalker is still in the spirit of Pox um, and getting around that targeting aspect, I think would be helpful also. And I don't think I'd want it in every deck, but just decks that um, uh, are a bit more heavy in every, in black, I think it would go over really well. Um, The second biggest detriment to the deck and this used to be helped out a lot by a divining top. It's simply getting flooded or mm. getting uh, uh, mana screwed where you're not getting the lands that you need. It's not being able to see that top card when you have a small pox in hand and you have two lands on the board. Do you small pox your opponent and hope that you're going to get a land off of the top? But if you had a <laughs> divining top, you could see that, oh, there's a land there. It's safe for me to do small pox right here. Um, so... Just the ability of filtering those top cards, or at least being able to see them, um, is something that is a big weakness for Pox. I mean, me personally, I would say the majority of the games that I lose, it's almost always to flooding. It's just flooding, flooding, flooding for me. Um, So, I would say, currently, another issue is Veil of Summer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I I have a new definition of Thoughtseize in the Veil of Summer meta, and and it reads like this. It is, port your own swamp, you lose two life, inform opponent that they get to draw a card, and give their spells uncounterable and all permanents hexproof. That's how Thoughtseize (laughs) reads now with Veil of Summer. (laughs) So, um, it it, it just destroys, like, three quarters of Pox's uh, game plan with, um, you know, the creature removal, the hand disruption, the uh, land destruction. Um, and Veil of Summer just defeats three quarters of the of the deck. And it, it's it's so prevalent right now. It's very hard for Pox to get around um, that type of meta at the moment. The other issue I would say is, uh, and I think a lot of people are going to agree with this, but for different reasons, is Astrolabe. So Astrolabe has, I think, created a situation where the meta has a lot more basic lands. And one of the strengths of Pox is Wasteland. So your Wastelands get a bit more uh, worse. Um, so that and... I think the ratio of, I would say, discard effects compared to the amount of card draw that is in the meta right now, especially with Astrolabe. You know, Astrolabe, draw a card. Teferi, bounce Astrolabe, draw another card, and then draw another one at Teferi. There's just so much card draw right now. Um, it's very hard for one of Pox's core principles to to be viable uh, with the meta shifting in the direction that it has. So I would say that those are the the, the biggest issues that Pox has. Um, some of those, it's always been the issue, and some of them are newer issues. So, Pat. Yes. What has uh, your experience been playing against Pox? I've only played against Pox decks handful of times i don't see it online very often um and i i've played it in paper hmm maybe like maybe like half a dozen times maybe a dozen uh it's it's always an interesting deck to play against because sometimes it grinds you out and you're just not able to do anything and then sometimes you're able to just be so much faster than it especially with blue red delver you're able to be faster than it uh you get under you know you're able to to daze all their spells and avoid their wastelands by playing basics so that's usually it's it's a it's a fun matchup i think um for blue red delver but if i was playing something like uh you know sneak and show or maybe something that was even a little slower than sneak and show uh might be a, a little little tough to play around um yeah I, I think i what i like most about a deck like pox and anything that's really like an all-in deck because if you get a lot of pieces for box they're not porting over to other decks right so if you're going in on a pox you're you're investing in that deck and like you're that's what you want to play right so you're kind of all in on that deck and that's that's one of the things i like about it is that it's not lending a lot of its pieces to yeah, other decks you know you got 
wastelands. Yeah, you okay. got wastelands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you suffer from the all in syndrome, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like I can't quit you. You know, you, you got the another which I don't. In there. I actually don't hate. I love decks like that because it, it encourages people to stay on a on our to stay on an archetype and master it versus. Uh, bouncing back and forth between a bunch of different decks. And I'll tell you another thing. It it is it is really 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 hard to win with Pox, <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is a reason why I think I'm drawn to the deck. Also, is because I really like a challenge. Like I I really if I if I get a win with a deck, I feel like I've really accomplished something because it's mm-hmm. really freaking hard to win with the deck. As as mm-hmm. warped and as crazy as that sounds, that's one of the reasons why I play it. <laughs> it doesn't seem like wins just fall into your lap, right? Exactly. Like, no, no. There are some decks where wins just fall into your lap. You're just on autopilot most of the time. It seems like with Pox, like, you got to grind them, grind out every single win. You do. And one mistake with Pox, and you, you can pretty much concede, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> other decks with Brainstorm, Ponder, they, they have uh, the ability, I think, to um, uh, recuperate a little bit from any kind of misplays or time things that are not timed uh, correctly, but... Pox doesn't have that luxury, especially since it's a monocolored deck and it just lives off of that top card on the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really do feel the the banning of Sensei's Divining Top really put the deck back uh, a few steps. Um, you know, I, and there still just hasn't been anything to replace that. You know, we don't have a black or colorless card selection engine like we used to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean. That would be something that I think would allow the deck to become viable. Like, I have, like, some ideals on things that I would like to see to help the deck get better, but, you know, it's probably not things that Watsi's going to print, so <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, after, after Planeswalkers, that's probably, like, Planeswalkers is probably the most obvious uh, detriment to Pox. You know, Pox just has such a hard time dealing with them. Yeah. But uh, the lack of card selection is just a much more subtle, and I feel the much bigger issue facing the deck. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we can still have some uh, some sweet win conditions, though. That is the cool thing with box, though, is you, you do have uh, some choices in how to build the deck because typically you only spend like one or two slots in the uh, the deck's main uh, to dedicate to win conditions, whether it be a curse scroll. Or a uh, blood gas, or my personal favorite from the green black variant, uh, worm harvest, <laughs> which is two hybrid black green, hybrid black green, hybrid black green. Uh, create a one one black and green worm creature token for each land card in your graveyard, and then it has retrace where you can cast it from your graveyard by discarding a land card. Uh, that was always uh, fun to see uh, rounding the tables. Uh, I remember Dan playing this a lot in his green-black version, and he would always have a bunch of readers. And when you cast this against Miracles, they're like, oh, that's fine, I'll Terminus it. And then they and then they go, okay, retrace it, cast it again. <laughs> it's like, I have more lands than you have Terminuses. I can, I can play this all day. <laughs> so actually, now that I think about it, I, I do have some ideas um, that I would like to see. Um or, or let's say propose cards that are, that would be printed um, that could help out the deck. I, I mean, so Pox, you're a tier four deck. You're hoping to be tier three. Um, in the last <laughs> like year, we have dropped down from the one percent meta share into like zero percent. Um, and I think a lot of us would just be happy with one or two percent in the meta share. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, it's been rough. Yeah. Especially with Liliana the Veil, the linchpin of the deck, just not really being legacy playable anymore as sad. That's crazy, crazy right? as it is to say. I, I don't think any Pox player would agree with you, but... <laughs> but yeah, I think but overall you're probably right. You just said there's 0% of them, so it doesn't right. sound like anyone's disagreeing with me either. You're right, you're right. Um, but I, I honestly think if, if the deck had some way to deal with Planeswalkers, if it had some sort of filtering for the top deck issue... Um, let's just say we, we all get our wishes and Veil of Summer and Astrolabe go away, right? Um, if it had some sort of clock, uh, like an increased clock, whatever ways that could occur, um, if we had, like, I, I personally would like to see some sort of, like, Leovold on a non-creature, whether it be an enchantment Mm. or something like that, to just prevent your opponents from drawing more than one card a turn. I mean, that's a perfect pox card, Right. They keep printing these cards, though, and everyone's like, oh, this is going to bring Pox back, and then they end up just not seeing play at all. Like, remember, like, Waste Not 
Sid, and everyone's like, oh, Waste Not's going to be great for Pox. It's going to bring Pox back. And then it just didn't see play. Like, not even Pox won. I tried. <laughs> I tried, Jerry. I tried Waste Not. I, <laughs> I tried. You have to really build around that card. <clears throat> and even then, it's still not that good. Yeah, I just like it's like that advice they give you when drafting where it's or like deciding mulligans where it's like, you know, having one maybe is okay. It's not ideal, but having one maybe is okay. If you have like two or three conditions, it's just not good. Like you just need to admit to yourself that it's just not good. Like if we had an answer for planeswalkers and if we had a way to filter the top of our deck, and if Veil of Summer got banned, and if Astrolabe also got banned, there's a lot to ask then for. We would, <laughs> not gonna lie. Then we would be a viable deck again. <laughs> like I said, you're not. So here's here's the thing, guys. You're not playing Pox to win. Nobody is playing Pox to win. They're playing it because it's near and dear to their heart, right? Number one. Or number two, yep. because you want to make your opponent miserable. You don't want them to have anything, <laughs> all right? You don't want them having any permanence. Addition by subtraction. <laughs> That's right. That's why you play Pog, sir. <laughs> I'm just saying, just give us a little bit more, Wasi. Come on, just a little bit more. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Just, uh, I do agree. Black definitely needs some love with a Veil of Summer out there. <laughs> oh, God, it's brutal. It is brutal. I think that's the, the biggest slap uh, is Veil of Summer to Pox. I think it's the, the biggest issue, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know if it was the biggest. I definitely think it's the it's the nail in the coffin. Yeah, you can say that too. <laughs> like, there's been a there's been a lot pushing Pox down, but Veil vale was was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. And in this case, the straw was like a 500 pound barrel of hay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's a deck that it speaks to the individual a lot of times. Um, mm-hmm. And. I mean, it has like a very strong following. I mean, I don't, if Pox was never a tier two deck, I don't think it would matter to the Pox players. Like they play because they love it. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, to me, I, I'm always going to play it. I'm always going to have it built in paper. Um, it, it speaks to me, you know. It, there's a Facebook uh, group page, and I think that has uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think that's probably around twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred people a part of that group. Um, How many bots? Yeah, how many are how, how many, many, how many Russian bots? Uh, well, it depends on how many that I have opened at that time, but you know, because <laughs> uh, I use those accounts for other things, Jerry and Pat. Um, but um, it's um, it's a very popular deck. Like Goblins has a very strong following, a very um, dedicated um, player base. You know, and Pox is the same way. I. I feel that's why Legends Pox is also so uh, popular. Not even I don't even think the Legends version is the best version of the deck. I just think that people love playing the Legends version of Pox because Pox is the deck that lets them show off these cards. So like if you have Chains of Mephistopheles and Nether Voids and Abysses, the only deck you can really put together is Pox, so you might as well put it together. Well, I mean, that, that's probably true with some builds. Um, you can make the, the South American type of versions just with the Blood Gas, like the Clayton Levy um and you know maybe the one of Tombstalker, they're very budget friendly very affordable um or you could do like a japanese style like the style that i do where it's more prison it's more legends and it's not necessarily because i'm trying to show off cards or anything i mean i i don't have that problem of course um but it, i'd like that prison aspect of it that that whole um uh denial aspect of it, it i just really like it um nope. so it, it just fits in with the style that i want to have with the deck um and you do have those other versions out there that are not running the legends. Um, but yes, I mean, some people do want to show off their cards and, uh, that probably speaks also to the affinity towards it. Like they, maybe they invested their hard earned money into a really cool card and they want to show it off. I don't, I don't know how much was cut off there, but, um, I was saying like a lot of people probably spent their hard earned money on some of these cool cards back in the day. Um, and they're proud of those cards, you know, uh, it's not just because they're trying to show it off, but, um, they, they do want to uh, have those cards still being played and, and have something to do mm-hmm. with them. So I think that's part of it, too. Hell yeah. Sick. It's a good flex. Should we uh, get into... Well, I guess we don't. We kind of already talked about you know the future of the deck, not that we really know anything uh, coming down the line for the deck. But... Story of our lives. Not that we really know anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but still so we i mean you did get the uh the newest card what was it exterminate 
Eliminate. Eliminate. Uh, eliminate is something. Uh, yeah, I have like a, a section on um, like uh, upcoming toys or cards. So I guess we can go over some of the uh, recent additions that Pox has had. Yeah, what are what are some of the latest additions the deck has made? Yeah, so like um, we have um, Ashiok Dream Renderer. I think is a very underutilized card. Um, it is very good against lands. It's very good against um, if you can get it out on turn one through a dark ritual. It's very good against Reanimator or Dredge things like that. Surprisingly, it's really good against um, Ant also. Um, so that, that's a card that definitely helps out a lot. And we have a an attempt at Planeswalker removal with Elder Spell. Elder Spell, it, it's not it's it's very debated in the Pox community. Like I, I'm one of the few people that really thinks the card is playable. Mm-hmm. Um and I get a lot of pushback from it. Um a lot of people prefer things like Pithing Needles to deal with Planeswalkers because it's so versatile. And that makes sense, but I think in the current meta Pithing Needle is more like a Band-Aid because it can easily be bounced, right? So it didn't actually deal with the Planeswalker. Um, Elder Spell has this plus that if you do um, destroy any amount of Planeswalker uh, that your opponents have, you can put two loyalty counters on each Planeswalker um, destroyed this way, right? So if if you destroy, a uh, let's say, a Jace and a Teferi, um, you can put two loyalty counters on... Uh, Ashiok, and then you can put two more of mm-hmm. um, So some people are trying Karn. Uh, it's more like a wishboard type of thing. I'm not really sold on Karn, but it has seen some play in Japan also. Um, I did see a new card printed. It was called Pestilence Haze, I think it was called. And that card would have been really good, okay? Had it just been uh, worded in a different way to say um, removing, I think it says remove two loyalty counters from each Planeswalker, or is it three? Mm-hmm. Um, let me just pull that card up real quick, because here it is. Okay, so Pestilent Haze. It reads, two black and one colorless. It's a sorcery. Choose one. All creatures get negative two, negative two, until end of turn. Cool, it's a board wipe, sort of. Um, and then the second part is that you can choose, or choose one. Uh, remove two loyalty counters from each Planeswalker. Now, had that said, remove all loyalty counters... From a planeswalker, a card like that would have been perfect in Pox, right? Because it would have served like two for one purpose, or it would have served such a, a versatile purpose where you could wipe the board or choose to get rid of a planeswalker, which is hugely problematic for the mm-hmm. card. So, um, I mean, just changing it just that much. I mean, it's still too too black and a colorless. I don't think that card would have been that strong had they changed it that much. It would have been really good, you know. And I think a really good card like that is something that Pox would need. Um, but let's see. Uh, Castle Lockthwain is a new card that we have access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the land that allows you to tap two black and a colorless to draw a card. Then you lose life equal to the number of cards in your hand. That's very useful. Um, we have in the, I guess, past year or two, uh, Liliana's Triumph. Um, that's a better edict because it does not target. It also has that plus that if you control a Liliana Planeswalker, each op- each opponent also discards a card, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Um, we have Mire of Misery, and a lot of people have never seen this card. They don't they still to this day have never heard of it. But Mire in Misery is one and a black. It's a sorcery, and it says each opponent sacrifices a creature or enchantment. So enchantment is something that Pox has also had a problem with uh, historically. Um, things like um, Let's say back to basics or blood moon or, or whatever, um, you know, enchantments like that. So that's an answer for that. Um, Plague Engineer is a newer addition. Uh, it's very good as a board wipe. It can give you a little bit of a clock. However, when you try to run like a Plague Engineer, you're going to have to carefully time your smallpox or your innocent blood effects. And the, al- the alternate to that would be to run targeted removal instead. Mm-hmm. But once you start running targeted removal you lose a lot of that value that you had with just the non-targeted uh, removal. Um, Dead of Winter is something that I really like a lot, especially if you run the... Well, you have to. You have to run the Snowlands. Um, I was running a build uh, when this card first came out with Ashiok, uh, Dark Ritual, 
and like Tombstalkers and stuff. And I was throwing Tombstalker out on turn one, uh, giving Pox a bit of a clock. Um, and I would follow that up with making sure I would only have four swamps out, and then I would play Dead of Winter hmm. right off of that. So it would help out there. Um, so those are some of the newer toys that Pox has come across. Um, that little trinket, there is a new uh, card that's in the Jumpstart set. Um, it's like that little bone guy. What is he called? The trinket guy? He would have been great if um, if it was... It, 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 if it wasn't so conditional because we already have like dark confidant. We already have Bob that does that. Um, but trinket thief, tiny bones, trinket thief. Mm-hmm. So, it, and also if it was just like one CMC, but I mean, there's so many cards that I think would have been better for pox if they were just changed slightly. But of course that's not how the game is played. So we just got to deal with the cards that, you know, are handed to us. So story of a magic player's life this card would be playable if it's costed less or <laughs> did more <laughs> well i think that kind of wraps it up yeah was there anything else you want to add uh travis before we started uh moving on um i would just say um just um join the pox discord if you have not already and you're interested in the deck um there is a facebook group um, there are resources out there for you to learn more about Pox. Uh, you can look at some of the matches from Adachi Ryusuke, who we all consider to be one of the best Pox players in the world, uh, in Japan. And, um, I think that's probably it for resources Pox wise, okay. but yeah, I would definitely suggest those. Cool. Um, Jerry, do you want to get into scoops and poops then? Scoops! Jerry, who do you want to scoop into top eight this week? Uh, I'm going to be net neutral again this week, Pat. I got uh, I got no positives, no negatives. Got nothing. Wow. Nothing. Not a single positive, huh? Uh, All right. Uh, yeah, nothing. Okay. Travis, do you want to scoop oh, anyone into top on. eight? I'm going to scoop not blowing any fingers off. How about that? <laughs> For the 4th of July. Okay. And, and to ma- maintain neutrality, you. I'm going to scoop in the fact that I don't have to poop on fireworks this year. How about that? <laughs> Okay. I, I, I want to scoop in everybody that's wearing a mask at um, any kind of magic uh, event mm-hmm. or any kind of a gathering. Wait, are there magic? Know, in general, anyway. Are there magic gatherings um, happening already? Yes. I mean, if people are just sitting down, you know, a couple at a time playing, etc. A few, um, a few stores general, have opened up their doors, too. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, not just magic players, but everybody that's just wearing a mask, I'd like to scoop them in. Yeah. For the greater good. Any uh, Any poops? People not wearing masks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're on message. Um, all right, I'm gonna scoop in. I'm gonna scoop in Hamilton on Disney Plus. Came out this past week. It was phenomenal. Uh, exceeded my expectations for a musical. Uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, I've been listening to the the soundtrack for years now, and um, being able to see the musical in action was pretty pretty fantastic. So highly recommend that. It was awesome. Um, and then my poops are uh, Enyo Morricone. Uh, passed away yesterday, so or maybe it was late last week. So that's a bummer. Um, uh, so I'm pooping on that. It was it's, it's sad. I mean, he was like 91, so you know we can't all live forever. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure Metallica still comes out to the Ecstasy of Gold at every uh, every show they play. So that's that's pretty badass. I think he's gonna live on in uh, in Metallica. And uh, I mean, just all the soundtrack work he did was pretty fantastic. So so that's a bummer. But what's that? So Metallica will keep it going for like another like year or two before. Hey, you, you know. watch your goddamn mouth, Jerry. <laughs> uh, I probably shouldn't make enemy of Metallica fans. They're probably the least, <laughs> the, the least stable. Pe- yeah, the last, the last group of people that I want to piss off. <laughs> yeah, it might be true. Might be true. Hey, um, and, also, Andrew right, well, Sandman's well, a banger. <laughs> well, Travis, do you want to? I, I know you do. We have we even really talk about the Legacy Pit this week, uh, but. Can you please at least uh, plug your channel and when they can find you guys streaming paper legacy events basic, basically every week? Yeah, all this talk about Pox, I forgot all about the Legacy Pit. Um, check out the Legacy Pit on Twitch. Uh, just go to Twitch and type in the Legacy Pit and it'll come up. Uh, we have a Twitter account. We have a Facebook account. Um, following those accounts helps. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. So you can go to YouTube and search any kind of deck that you may be interested in seeing and we probably have a couple matches there waiting for you to um to see so if you're fortunate enough to watch us live on twitch 
you can do matchup requests. We have 40-ish decks now, or actually more than 40. Um, and you just request whatever deck you want us to play, and we'll do it for you. All right? So we're very interactive. Uh, we're, we're very engaged with our viewer base, and uh, we like to have a lot of fun. So check it out. Nice. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, don't forget to uh, like, follow, subscribe, the stuff that we do with the podcast. You can follow the show. It's at LALMTG. Follow Jerry if you want. Uh, I don't know why you want to do that, but he's at JMEE3RD. Probably posts a lot of Eve videos and stuff. And no, I took a Twitter break. I check my Twitter like maybe once a month just to see if anyone's <laughs> messaging me. So if I don't respond right away on Twitter, it's because I I honestly just don't check Twitter. <laughs> Smart move. Twitter's uh, follow, bad for your health. <laughs> you can follow me at Pat Yuglo. The stream is twitchtv legacy. Uh, obviously, you can find us on Patreon. Find us on Hipsters. Join the Facebook group. Uh, there's been a glut of World Gorger memes the past week and a half. It's been really hilarious, so check that out. And if you want to find out why someone would iron a foil wasteland, you can find that out on the page as well. Um, and you can follow. You can email the show directly. It's legacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. And as always, shout out to our editor, Justin Lutz. He's our audio tech, our sound engineer. Uh, now editing for two podcasts, apparently. So, uh, so he's doubled his workload over there, but he's he's working hard and getting you guys uh, all the all the good good stuff. I don't know if is he editing a legacy podcast, Jerry? Do we know? I I thought it was a home ec uh, cooking channel is what he's editing now. Oh, maybe I can guest on that show. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I, like also, to I, I totally made up that up. I have no idea <laughs> what just sounds plausible. I mean, he is Martha Stewart's nephew. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Little, little known, uh, did he visit her fact. when she was in the clink? Yeah, actually, he was also the warden. It was, oh, it wow. Was, it was a conflict of interest, but they made he, it work. He wears many hats, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I feel after, what, over 100 episodes of him having different job titles, I feel people would have figured that out by now, Pat. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Many hats. The many hats of Justin Lutz. Awesome. Well, thanks for everyone for hanging out this week. Uh, uh, thank you, Travis, for coming on. It was great to have you, as always. Yep, thank you. And we'll catch you guys next week.